Welcome to Prowler Presents, the obsessive podcast about cult movies. Today we continue and probably conclude our interviews with the cast members of the movie The Room. Of course, The Room is considered the Citizen Kane of bad films. Check out past episodes where I talk to the director and other actors from The Room. It's official. The results are back, and I definitely talked to Carolyn Minot, who played Claudette, Lisa's mom, in The Room. She talks about getting the film, working on the film, and seeing herself in The Disaster Artist, the movie about The Room. Check out this interview. I hope you enjoy. You are listening to Proudly Resents. Oh, reason. I, I can't even hear you. Well. Hi, this is Sammy Wazell. Uh, proudly Resents. The Cult Movie Podcast. The Adam Biggest Men Show. To all you Proudly Resents listeners out there, just remember... Hi, Adam. Hey, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, sure, and I'm th- I appreciate you accommodating me as far as, as where we're going to meet and everything. So, like I said, I'm just getting over a cold. I don't think you want to be around me right now, especially if you have little ones. So, uh, I think this will work out well for us. So, it's official. You definitely have a cold. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear that all the time now? It's official. Uh, oh, I, I just got the results. I definitely have a cold. Is that yes. <laughs> yes, all the time, all the time. It's one of the, the things people got the biggest kick out of, of the movie. And then nobody hears any more about it anymore throughout the rest of it. How long have you been acting before you got the, the role in the movie? Before I did The Room? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I had been doing commercials and some independents and some industrials. And I started, a friend of mine said, oh, you've got to get the Backstage West because they have all the, everybody who's casting, all of the independents and everything. And I got a subscription to the Backstage West. And I'd just gotten back from a vacation, my husband and I, and I had gone to the host office to get all our mail. They give it to you in a big tray if you've been gone two or three weeks. And he was sorting through it and he said, oh, hey. There's somebody in Backstage West casting for a, the, the part of a mother for this independent movie. Why don't you send him a headshot? This was 2002. And I said, OK. So I, I sent him. And sure enough, a, a few days later, I got a phone call. Could I come up to Highland, Burns and Sawyer uh, and do an audition? And I, I showed up. And uh, we did the audition and I went home and he called me back and about three days later, could I come up again? And I did. And I auditioned with some of the other people and uh, went home and then he called me or actually Greg Sestero called me and asked me if I would like to do the part because they decided they thought I was what they were looking for. That's how it all started. It's uh, just doing an, an independent movie. On set, what did it look like for you when you were there? Well, on set was pretty much the parking lot in the back of Burns and Sawyer's camera place on Highland. Tommy had also gotten permission from them, and I guess he probably, I'm sure he paid them for us being there and all of the, the things we were doing. He had turned the storeroom in the back into uh, the living room for the movie. And then later, it also doubled as the bedroom. Uh-huh. So, and the as I say, uh, in the in the parking lot, they had one wall of the building next to us uh, was where the green screen was because that was where the, you saw the background from San Francisco and whatever when they were doing the rooftop scenes. 
So everything was done pretty much. We spent most of our time in the parking lot at Burns and Sawyer. That's uh, other than when we went in to the small uh, storage room when it was the living room. And then sometimes some of the exterior scenes were shot in the parking lot against the green screen out there. The one at the top where uh, the guy is holding a gun on Denny and wants his money and and then later for the, the birthday party. So uh, that was pretty much our, our layout there for the for the movie. When did you figure there's something wrong, that something was going on? You mean, when did I decide it wasn't a very good movie? <laughs> well, it was interesting because, as you know, Tommy was kind of a quirky guy. But I really I liked him very much. And he was always he gave some of the other actors a little bit of a hard time. He was always very nice to me. And I'm as I got to thinking about it, I think it's because I was the oldest member of the cast. And I thought maybe he just had this respect for older people. But he was always very nice. We used to mention things to him, you know, like, what would we what if we did this a little different? Or I would ask him about the, the line. It's absolutely definite. I have I have breast cancer. And and then, as I said, it never comes up again in the, the rest of the, the script. And I said, now, does she really have breast cancer or is she just man- using this to manipulate her daughter? And he said, well, now you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. That's that's up to you. Should I look like I'm going through chemo? Should I get a skull cap and look like I've lost all my hair and get very pale or whatever? No, 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 that won't be necessary. Just go on the way you are. Just keep up the way you are. So I just assumed uh, Claudette is a little bit manipulative, and I'm I'm assuming this is how she ha- how she deals with her daughter or with people. She, you know, she just manipulates them in any way that she can. So that's what I decided on, and that's what I went with. So what was he like as a director? He was very busy all the time. Tommy was very authoritarian. A lot of times people that were working on the set, the the camera people and whatever, if they would tell Tommy that's not a good idea, this is what we should do, he would get very angry and they would be gone. So we had a a fairly constant turnover of people who who were working on the crew. Sandy had already told him that he was going to leave early. He had another commitment, but he signed on for a specified amount of time. And he left before we were through shooting the entire film, as did, uh, oh, what was his name? Um, something something Italian, I think it was. Anyway, he left, or he again had had another um, dog on it. I can't think of the man's name. Because uh, he was directing the scenes on the, on the rooftop things and all of that. Uh, Raphael. Somebody, Raphael, I can't remember if that was his first or, or last name. As I said, he had already told Tommy he had other commitments, so he worked for a while. Tommy had this thing, and I say, and that was addressed in the movie with Greg when he wanted to do the uh, the bit in uh, Malcolm in the Middle. If anybody told Tommy that they had auditioned for something else while we were shooting the film, he would take it personally as if they were... Um, backstabbing him or something. He he was very upset if somebody wanted to work on another project while they were working on the room. So one young man got in trouble because he left and he said, if you're not going to need me anymore, I have an audition I'd like to go to. And Tommy was very upset by that. I told him once, I said, you know, it's just kind of professional courtesy. If you're not going to use the actor and you don't need him anymore that day, 
to let him go. I said, that's what actors do. They're constantly auditioning to get a to get a part. You know, I said, you have to understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't like his attitude or something, you know, like that. He could be he could be a little difficult that way. A, a couple of times I had other auditions and I would just arrange them so that they'd be in the morning and I just never said anything about them. I'd come back to I'd, I'd be at the set when it was my time to be there, but I would just have my agent arrange the auditions so that they were either earlier in the morning and I had time to do the audition and then go get back to the set. But just a couple of times, uh, because I knew it would upset him. I had signed on for the thing. I uh, I wanted to finish it. I had never done a complete film from the beginning to the end. And I wanted, I want, because a lot of people have asked me, why did you stay if you didn't think it was very good? And I said, well, number one, I signed a contract with the man and I took his money. So I felt it was incumbent on me to finish what I started for one thing. And I said, number two, I wanted to finish it. I had started it. And I wanted to finish it, even though I had some misgivings about, you know, how it was going to turn out. And I think I'm the only actor that was never replaced, that that was there from the beginning to the end and never got fired or was ever replaced on there. So I guess that was something anyway, because some of the other actors did get fired because uh, Tommy was uh, unhappy with them. For instance, we had three different Juliets. We had one young lady playing Juliet who was obviously Hispanic. So I took Tommy aside and I said, well, you know, I'm blonde and blue eyed. And how is this my daughter? And he says, well, we're going to work something in where you married a South American and then came back, came back to this country. And so that's why your daughter looks as well. And I said, OK, OK, I'll buy that. At one point, we we were, gee, at least a third, if not half of the way through the film, and some of the younger actors decided they were going to confront Tommy. They thought with their suggestions, it would be a better movie. And so they confronted him one afternoon, and then they asked me, they said, will you come along with us? And I said, yes, but I said, I would really stop and think. I said, now, you know what Tommy is like? And I said, you know, this is not going to go over well. I said, think about it before you decide to do this. And they said, oh, yeah, we've thought about it. We're going to do this because there was a, a uh, different Mark. There was a different best friend of Lisa. I believe there was a third. I'm trying to think of who the third guy was because we were all, we all trooped in there and they gave him their misgivings. Tommy had their misgivings and he became he was not happy with with being confronted by people that because that was his baby he he wrote it he directed it he starred in it you know that was and he did not want anybody taking exception to his authority sure enough the next day they weren't there the young lady and the the young man who was playing uh uh mark and the young lady was playing michelle uh were no longer there that's when greg sestero took over playing the part of mark so they had to start completely over with his with the stuff he he had done. Greg wasn't too happy about it at the time, as I understand, because he belonged to SAG, and but I guess he got some kind of an agreement with SAG to let him fill in in this uh, independent movie, since it wasn't a a SAG movie. So anyway, we lost some of the actors, and finally, I believe Juliet was already because there was another young woman that filled in from the the Hispanic girl who was cast as uh, Lisa. And at that point, Juliet was playing Michelle, the best friend. 
You know, I believe it was that she told him that she was talking to us and he he was sitting there listening. Tommy was sitting there listening uh, that she had auditioned with HBO. Her, her agent had gotten her an audition with uh, somebody who was shooting a film for HBO and that she had auditioned for it and that she was evidently in the running because they had called her back for another audition. Tommy became very unhappy about that. The next day she was gone and Juliet had become the Lisa, the, the leading lady. And that was when I guess he went back to Backstage West and said we need, he was auditioning for the part of a young 20, 30-year-old uh, woman to play um, uh, her best friend. And that's when Robin came, came aboard. So, as we said, we kind of called it the great coup when we lost some of our leading actors. But, but eventually, we finally wrapped it up and got it finished. I'm sure you've seen it more than once. Oh, definitely. Where do you think the film was going to go after you finished? Where did I think it was going to go? Actually, we, were, uh, we had a subway across the street there on uh, Melrose because we were on Highland and where he- Melrose and Highland come together. There was a Subway sandwich store there. Tommy had a deal with them. We would go there for lunch, order whatever we wanted, and they would send Tommy the check for it. He would pay for our lunches. And so we were walking to lunch one day, and I think it was Phil who played the kid that said, oh, he's, oh, he says, you know, this is, this is an awful movie. He says, I don't think I'm even going to put it on my resume. And I said, oh, by all means, put it on your resume. I said, nobody's going to see this thing anyway. It's, it's going to go straight to DVD. It's going to gather dust on some dust on some, on some shelf at Blockbuster, and they'll throw it out after six months or so. I said, nobody's going to see this thing. And, uh, but I said, you did the work. You take the credit for it, you know. When I saw him, when, when Robin was doing her mockumentaries and Phil and I were both, he says, you know, you lied to me. You told me nobody had ever seen this thing. <laughs> and I said, you're absolutely right. I, I was completely wrong. I had no idea that that it was going to become such a popular movie for, for kids, you know, a uh, cult movie. And <laughs> who knew? You know? <laughs> but evidently enough I think it was mainly techies that really liked it and would send it to their friends or tell their friends, you know, you've got to see this. This is really great. And my son was keeping track of it. He said it kept popping up uh, on online and uh, things about the room. And he says, you know, they've got a game. They've got uh, uh, all of this stuff regarding the room online. He says, you ought to check it out. And I guess some guy in Chicago actually turned it into a musical but he's not taking it out of Chicago because Tommy's going to going to sue him if he does. So because he felt he st- he stole his property, you know. It was just it was all just very interesting. Finally, oh, a few years ago, about three four years ago, my son called me one day and he said, "You know, they're having the twelve year reunion for the room up at a theater in Westwood." It's a it's a midnight showing. He says, you ought to come. And I said, oh, gee, really? Midnight? You really want me to schlep all the way to the, yeah, 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 I think you should come. So I said, okay. And I said, geez, you know, the prob- Tommy probably won't even remember me. It's been 12 years. And uh, I walked, I started walking over toward the theater. And all of a sudden, these people started running toward me. Oh, my God, we love you. Will you sign my T-shirt? Can I have my picture? T-? And I thought, my because I didn't think anybody would recognize me or even realize who I was. 
And uh, it was a real eye-opener for me. I've got something of a fan base, and who knew, you know? It was a lot of fun. It was great seeing Tommy again and and Greg, and he asked me to come up on the stage after the movie was done and answer questions. Uh, Being a person who likes to talk, I was happy to do that. I love to get up and talk to the people. And and since then, my goodness, I have been uh, interviewed by people from Denmark, couple of people from the UK and just generally local people that wanted to find out more about the room and what my experience was with it. Like I said, it took on a whole life, but then Tommy was very tenacious. He he marketed that thing all over the world. He took it everywhere so that people would see it. He was not it was his baby and he was not going to let it die. And I really admire him for that. I thought my, most people, I don't know how many people would do that, uh, that with a, a film that had gotten very poor reviews, you know. Uh, but he, he was adamant he was going to make that thing. And there he is. All of a sudden, I'm seeing him in magazines and things, you know. I got a, uh, I take one magazine called In Style, and it had pictures of him at the Golden Globes and things. So uh, more power to him. The guy, the, the guy was just very tenacious about keeping that thing moving. So um, I, I admire his tenacity. The movie Disaster Artist is obviously about the movie The Room. What was your reaction to see somebody and such a great actress playing you on screen? I, it was wonderful. She, I thought she did an excellent job. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't aware of Jackie Weaver until I read her. I, I went online and found her resume. And she's, my goodness, she's a very accomplished actress. So I sent her a note saying how much I enjoyed seeing her play. And uh, I had never expected in my lifetime to see any actress play me on the big screen. I always thought you had to be Eleanor Roosevelt or somebody like that before actors portrayed you. You know, I thought you had to be someone of of great importance or at least some importance. And uh, I thought she did a great job. And uh, it was just it's really kind of fun to watch someone on, on the screen playing you. It's uh, it's a whole other experience. What was that night like for you to actually see the movie Disaster Artist for the first time with an audience? Uh-huh. The premiere, what was it like with you? And I guess you came with your husband. That was, yes, that was the first time I had seen the movie. And I was really, really thrilled when uh, the American Field uh, Film Institute sent me the invitation to come to the Chinese theater and then to the after party afterwards. So my my husband and I just booked a room at the Hollywood Roosevelt, and we figured by the time we were through seeing the movie and and talking to people at the party, we would just go upstairs and go to bed. We didn't want to drive back to Orange County. So it was a lovely lovely evening. I really enjoyed it. It was really a great deal of fun. Like I said, seeing somebody play you on the screen – it was a lovely experience. I just enjoyed the whole evening and the whole thing. Uh, and, and, of course, everybody was – I didn't get a chance to see Tommy. I was looking for him. But then people would stop me and start talking. And then when I thought I saw him somewhere, he was gone. And so I never did get a chance to connect with Tommy, uh, although Robin said he was definitely there. And I said, yeah, I thought I saw him. But um, because Robin and um, – uh, Oh, what is his name that played the gangster? Um, oh, good grief. You know, the older I get, the more I, I can't remember things. Um, I can't think of the man's name. Anyway, the one that played uh, 
the the gangster that was threatening uh, 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 Phil, that was threatening the, the young kid in the movie because he had been buying drugs evidently. And he and his daughter were there and Robin was there, but I didn't see any of the other cast members there. Of course, a lot of them, uh, Juliet has moved to Texas, although I understand she's been nominated for an independent award for, um, is, I believe, Best Actress or Best, best uh, Actress in a Short in a short Scene or something for Robin's uh, 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 mockumentary. Uh, the, the room actors, where are they now? You know, and we're all kind of bitter and whatever because our careers haven't gone anywhere. It was, I, as far as I know, it was just the three of us that showed up uh, of the original cast members that showed up that night. Uh, as I say, uh, Juliet has moved to Texas, I believe, and Phil is in Arizona. Of course, Greg is still here and he wrote the book, The Disaster Artist, he and a, a friend of his. It is just always nice. I just always love running into the old group again. It's always fun being around them. And it was a wonderful evening for me. I really had a good time. It was lots of fun. Now, you know, they say that Marilyn Monroe haunts the whole the Roosevelt because evidently she lived there for a while. So I looked up. So I'm sorry, you cut out. You you looked for the ghost of Marilyn Monroe in the Roosevelt and she wasn't around. Well, I did when I when I was going up and down on the elevator, although somebody said I mentioned it to one of the people there and they said, oh, no, you've got to look in a mirror. She only shows up in a mirror. And I said, well, shoot, I didn't check out all the mirrors. That's it. I just sort of looked back and forth down the hallways to see if I saw any any filmy apparition going on. there. She didn't show for me. So what are you going to do? What is fan interaction like? What do fans want to talk to you about? Mainly just the, well, the fans really, I don't know if you've seen the room, if you remember the, the scene on the roof where the guy is threatening uh, Denny. And I'm yelling at Denny and he finally says, you're not my effing mother. And I grab him, you know, the people love that scene. That's the scene that they, I say, oh, we love the one where you grab Denny by the, by the shirt or whatever it was, you know. And I said, well, that's great. I'm glad you really liked it, you know. But that's the one they mentioned to me the most. And then other than that, they just want my, uh, they just want my autograph and they want to have their picture taken uh, with me. So I'm happy to pose for a picture or give somebody my autograph. Yeah. Uh, playing the character of the mom, and it sounds like there's a lot of justification. As How did you play her? What, what was her backstory? Well, actually, as I said, I, I felt that she was, manipulative a manipulative person who had been married a few times actually uh robin asked me to do some everybody was doing something for the um the mockumentary i think somebody was painting the picture of spoons or something like that which at the first time i went to one of the um midnight showings of the room i wondered why people were throwing spoons i forgot they had that picture sitting on the table in what was supposed to be uh, uh, Tommy or, or Johnny and Juliet's living room. There was a picture of spoons. Because I, I could understand they used to throw Nerf footballs and stuff uh, before the film would start. But I thought, well, what's with the spoons? I didn't remember. It was the picture there. And uh, I had forgotten they had that picture out there. Mainly, they just really liked, the, they, they really get a kick out of the movie. And they just like having uh, the autograph of somebody who was in it. Uh, I, I really don't know why. Because, but, um, oh, as far as uh, Claudette, Juliet, as I said, some, one person painted a picture of somebody else. She asked me if I would write a story. 
if uh, Claudette would write a story. So I wrote a probably 30-page vignette of uh, Claudette and her background. I gave, I made her mother a uh, exotic dancer on um, in San Francisco during the 60s. And uh, her father was a musician who played with Lawrence Welk. And uh, somehow the, the, actually I was drawing on the old Stan Freeberg record that he did about the guy who was, uh, Welk is playing his champagne music at the, at the uh, uh, Santa Monica ballroom and it breaks off, the, the, the bubble machine goes out of control and breaks off from the pier and it's floating out in the ocean and you hear the bubbles and everything. And so I just sort of went with that and said, my father was caught trying to help un- unclog the bubble machine and had floated out to sea and died. And then I gave, I, I made Juliet a, chi- a, a child actor. I said that, you know, I had, I had uh, found an uh, agent in uh, Hollywood and uh, Juliet had become a child actress known as Baby, uh, Baby uh, Lisa. And we had all kinds of uh, money that we made off of that, off of her acting career, as well as selling Baby Lisa clothes and Baby Lisa storybooks. And then I made, I, Claudette married a wealthy Italian car maker who he was a baron and uh, made the Leone sports car in Italy. And unfortunately, he died in a car crash. And one of his, he was testing one of his, his cars and died in a car crash. And I had retired back to San Francisco with my third or fourth husband, who was just a nice, quiet man. And at that my age, that was enough. I didn't need any more than that. And she thought that was very funny. So uh, I don't know if anybody ever bought that or anything. I don't know. But uh, so I just more or less decided that Claudette was a person who was very pragmatic. As you know, uh, having seen the picture, she would tell uh, uh, Lisa, you need to be nice to this man and show him respect because your career isn't going anywhere. The uh, This little uh, computer career you thought you had going is going nowhere. You're not doing anything with it. This man loves you and is has already bought you a car. Now he intends to buy you a house. If you're smart, you will be nice to this man and, and treat him well and make a life with him. Because as I said, uh, I think with Claudette being madly in love, maybe she was once and early in her life. But after that, she married pretty much for pragmatic reasons of does this man have enough money to support my lifestyle type thing. And um, I think that's what she was passing on to her daughter, because that is one thing. Some people have, have asked me, you know, she was very predatory and she was and I said, yes, she was a very she is not a romantic. She is she is a very pragmatic woman and she goes with what she can see and feel. She is not touchy feely. And she is not going to be carried away with romance. And she's telling her daughter, if you're smart, you won't either. You will be nice to this man. You'll make a life with him because he's going to take care of you. And you appear to be incapable of taking care of yourself in life. So if you're smart, stick with with Johnny because he, he cares about you. And you're not going to find a lot of men who do. And I think that was her main Focus. A lot of the lines from the original movie were cut. And so a lot of my advice to my daughter was was not no longer there when I saw the re redone uh, film, the reshot 
or not reshot, but the edited versions of the uh, of the film. And uh, I just assumed that's who Claudette was. She's, you know, you're not you're not making it on your own, honey. So you've got this man that's going to take care of you. If you're smart, you're going to take you're going to take care of him and you're going to you know, you're going to stick to him unless you find something better. You know, this, I think this is Claudette's attitude toward life. And uh, she also mentions in in uh, when she's t- just before, I think it's just before or just after she announces she definitely has breast cancer. Uh, her brother, she's angry with her brother because uh, he wants. They, evidently, they have co ownership of a house, and uh, she she wants the house, and she doesn't want him. And she's evidently at some point paid him off his his share of it now he wants he wants the back uh, uh, co-ownership of the house and she's angry with him because he uh, he's giving her a hard time over the house so this is uh, this is who i felt Claudette was oh that's great she does give a lot of exposition while she's just talking about her brother in the house and yeah yeah he's a jerk and she's she's unhappy with now again in the little vignette that i wrote he was my baby brother and he was spoiled because he had too much money and everybody catered to him because he was the baby and now on top of everything else i've ever done for him he wants he wants my house on top of it you know and she's she's very upset with him so it's and and who knows who, who really if he really has a stake in this house anymore or not you know but uh Claudette's not going to give it up easily. That's for certain. She's not a lady who gives up something of value for sentimental reasons. You know, you've right. got to do something a little better than that for her to be, come forward with something. In the movie, there's a scene where Jackie Weaver, as you, pass out. Did that really happen? No, I didn't pass out. What actually happened was it was a Memorial Day weekend. And it was, I, I believe it was the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. Uh, for some reason, all of a sudden, I got very sick to my stomach. And I can't imagine why I'd had some coffee and toast before I left the house and uh, drove up to uh, to the set. And the, um, the the roach coach guy was there. And I, bought, I got a can of uh, tomato juice. And I had drunk the tomato juice and I was sitting there talking to Sandy and a couple and the wardrobe lady. And all of a sudden I got extremely sick to my stomach. I don't know if it was the the tomato juice. I don't know if it was something that was coming on that I had no idea, but I just got very ill. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to have to go to the ladies room. I think I'm going to be sick. And uh, so I, I went in and I did get sick and I came back out and I said, gee, I feel really kind of shaky. And so Sandy said, sit down, sit down, put your feet up, just relax. I'll, I'll get you some water and you just, just take it easy. And uh, so that's what I did. And I felt a little bit better. So I got dressed for the scene I was going to do, the interior scene I was going to do with Juliet. Sure enough, right away, I said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be sick again. And one of the Camera guys ran over with a with a bucket with a uh, wastebasket and said, "Here, take this." And he put it in my lap, and I got sick. So I just went out and sat down. Tommy got Greg to drive me to the emergency room. I can't remember the name of the hospital. And I sat there and I thought, "Oh, geez, if they want to put me, keep me here for observation or whatever, I don't want to be stuck in L.A. I'm just going to drive. I'm just going to drive back to Orange County." And I told Greg, I said, you know what? I'm sorry. 
I had let you drive me all the way over here. I want to go back to the set. I'm going to get in my car and drive home. And he said, well, do you really think you should? And I said, yeah, because I don't want to be stuck in L.A. Uh, while they, you know, do tests or whatever to find out what's wrong with me. He took me back home and I got in the car and Tommy and everybody said, no, 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 you shouldn't. If you're not feeling good. And I said, no, no, I'm determined. I'm going to drive back back home. And that's what I did. And I did not feel well for the rest of that day. I went to bed early, and the next morning I felt better. It was some bug that I picked up somewhere, but it wasn't. And it was hot and warm in the the storeroom. It had no windows or anything. So once they closed the set and, and the door and uh, the cameras were running, it could get a little stuffy in there. But that's not what made me sick. And I didn't pass out. I just got terribly. Uh, uh, sick for a couple of days and uh, then I was fine then I, I came back but I guess rather than having somebody barf they probably figured it was better to say oh she got overwhelmed by the heat and passed out you know so I think that was probably just a decision they made when Jackie Weaver talks about as you that this is acting and this is what it's all about did you give a similar speech is that something from your real life Oh, you know, somebody, other people have asked me that that one where they're sitting and having lunch or something. And she said the best days are days. You know, I don't remember ever saying that. Now, I might have. But, you know, I do not remember saying that. Now, if, if somebody else remembers me saying it, I won't deny it, because to tell you the truth, I really don't remember saying that. But I might have. I, I really don't remember. Thank you so much for your time. We learned so much about the movie and about you. And uh, uh-huh. okay, so okay, I'm, I ho- I hope I filled you in on some of the, the things that went on. This is great. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Will you? Uh, okay. Is there anything you want to promote? Is there anything you're doing that you want people to know? Uh, about? No, not right now. I haven't been very active lately. I was doing a lot of print work for a while, catalogs and stuff like that. Since since all of this, I thought, well, maybe I should get in touch with my agent and see if there's anything out there for me. We'll see. Whatever. <laughs> okay, we'll look forward to seeing you. Oh, hopefully. Hopefully you'll see me again. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Thanks. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Carolyn, thank you so much for doing that interview. That was so much fun. If you listen to uh, this show, uh, if you go to Proudly Resents The Room, or you go to our website, and on the top it says The Room, click it. There's other interviews with people like Tommy Wiseau, Denny, uh, the kid who played, the guy who played Denny, Lisa's freak, frisky friend, played by Robin Paris, and script supervisor Sandy Scalar, two-part interview where he talks about how he directed The Room. And of course, I talked to Chris R. himself, and he talks about being an actor what happened before and after all these interviews are great and so much fun i appreciate everybody doing it and i appreciate robin paris for hooking up a lot of these interviews and she has a great mockumentary called the room actors where are they now so go to the room.com on the top you can click and go to all those interviews go find past interviews past reviews make a donation contact me or buy a really cool t-shirt from Busted Tees if you go to proudlyresents.com and I get a piece of that t-shirt action. Whoa, seriously? Listen, I've done over 200 episodes and I split them up on Apple Podcasts in different categories. There's Proudly Resents Bad Movie Recaps with hilarious comedians talking about terrible films. There's also Proudly Resents Interviews, people like Bobcat Goldthwait and other amazing filmmakers who made terrible and bizarre films. 
and then of course proudly resents the room all right thank you so much for listening to the show i really appreciate it and you can reach me at proudly resents reach adam at mac.com i really enjoyed doing the show it's always 200 episodes go back and listen to them i don't think there'll be any new ones unless something really amazing falls in my lap but i appreciate the last 17 years that you guys have been listening to the show Oh, and don't forget, go to our Facebook page, because that's where people talk about bad films. So, that's it. All right. Adam, we're out of time for this interview. I'm a baby in a bar Everything is so big Daddy's drinking a beer He won't give me a swig This is a great place for me With all this vodka and glass Every surface is wet I know that I'll bust my ass but don't blame my dad, he's not an alcoholic We've been stuck in the house I got the colic, my tummy hurts Because my sphincters don't sphinct I've been screaming for days and daddy needs him a drink And I think the bartender's not happy with me Cause I don't know how to tip and I don't have ID And all the guys here hate me cause I'm blocking their jocks By tripping all the ladies' biological clocks I'm a baby in a bar I'm a baby in a bar This place used to be cool But now while I'm sitting here In a puddle of drool I think I annoy The bartender tonight when she shakes up a dream I just shriek with delight I'm getting dirty looks and I guess I deserve it Maybe they're all jealous of my bottle service But I think it's cause I'm ruining their sense of mystique This neighborhood used to be edgy Now it's Sesame Street But it's not my fault So spare me your scorn I didn't choose this place I was dragged here in a fjord So before you take it out on me Stop and think You all are here to get laid Where do you think that would lead? To a baby in a bar